0: All right. Good morning, Reach Church. So if kids went ahead to, to Reach Kids, they can do that now. All right. Yep. You're just going to stray through that the big door right there. Not too scary. Uh, as, you, as you saw, that is Doug Clark. That is um, one of the officers that is up for uh, potential election uh, to be either a deacon or an elder. Uh, we'll have voting on that. You'll hear more about that. You'll meet uh, more potential officers in the in the weeks and the month to come, so uh, that's Doug Clark. Um, now, before we jump into the sermon, uh, we have some housekeeping kind of stuff. Uh, so, as many of you know, um, and some of you might not know, uh, Rachel Lamb. Rachel Lamb. She's the daughter of the Durkovics. Rachel Lamb. She was our children's director and our uh, preschool and nursery director. Now, we're excited for this. Uh, she, she actually took a position in full-time ministry, so she, went to, uh, she and her family are moving to Wilmington, up north, and she's going to start as a children's director there, actually on a revitalization. So we started because we, are our, uh, we were a revitalization, uh, an older church that, that needed help and needed more bodies and more people and more vibrancy, and uh, she's going to go up to Wilmington and do that there. Now, that's exciting that someone... Reaching people with Jesus in a, in a larger capacity, we're so excited for her. Uh, but that means, for all of you, uh, some of you are called to step into those shoes that she left so big to fill. Um, so we're currently looking for uh, Reach Kids director, and we're gonna split the position, she was over ambitious, uh, taking two of these, and uh, uh, the director of nursery and preschool. So these are positions where uh, you're not doing all the work, you're helping facilitate other people teaching and leading but ultimately towards the end of, of giving people Jesus, of giving our, our littlest people uh, nothing but Jesus week after week. So if that's something that interests you, um, come talk to me. Come learn more about the position. Um, yeah, and we'll, if, you, if you see Rachel, if you reach out to her, uh, give her all your love that she's stepping into this role, which is going to be a hard one. It's hard to do revitalization, um, but we're super excited for her. Uh, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for uh, the message of nothing but Jesus. We thank you for the mission that you've given us. Father, we ask that um, you would empower us to do the things that we, we cannot do in and of ourselves, the things that we can only do by your Spirit. And Father, as we think about um, the sermon this week, as we think about Galatians, we ask that you would show us um, how we are maybe missing this call to, to live in freedom, to live as sons, to live as uh, those set free by the gospel who live under the promise. And Father, I ask that for the joy of sharing Jesus and for the joy of being set free, we would, uh, we would let loose others who are, who are bound up by the law and bound up by slavery to it. So uh, Father, would you bless this time when we enjoy Jesus? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you do things that we cannot do ourselves? We pray in Jesus Christ's name. All right, so uh, we are back in Galatians, uh, going once more into theology, into the theology of the law compared to the promises of God by faith. And today we're going uh, all the way back to Abraham, we're looking at the story of Abraham and how he interacted with the promises of God, how he pursued them both by faith and by works, and how he had these two different approaches, and how... Ultimately, we have two choices ahead of us. That we can be children of Abraham by by works of the law, that we can be Ishmael, or we can be children of Abraham by faith in the promises of God. We can be Isaacs. We can be two kind of children who interact with God on two completely different levels, are either slaves and totally under and enslaved to the law, or we can be those who are free and who interact with God by faith through promises. So that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at, uh, first, the history of Abraham's two sons. We often talk about the one son, but uh, but forget the other, who represents the law and how most of us oftentimes interact with God. We're going to talk about the allegory behind that, kind of the hidden meaning and and what we're supposed to get out of that more deeply. And finally, we're going to see the call to be the children of God, the children of promise, the children of Abraham, not... The Ishmaels, but the Isaac. So uh, let's turn to Galatians four. Galatians four, and we're going to look at verses twenty-one through thirty-one. Galatians four. Galatians four, twenty-one. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. And Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. She is in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear! Break forth and cry aloud, You who are not in labor! For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? All right. So, uh, I was telling Casey this, uh, this week, I was like, it seems like the same message over and over and over, and I guess it kind of is. Uh, that really there are two ways of interacting with God, through law or through faith, through promise or through works. And Paul is going week after week, uh, in passage after passage, kind of nailing home that really it isn't about works. And it has never been about works. It's always been by faith, by grace, by Jesus and the work of Jesus. And to, to take that home once again... Uh, Paul goes back to the history of Abraham. We've looked at Abraham before. He's the father of the faith. He's the first to, to receive this covenantal promise. And the thing is that these Judaizers, these men who are coming in, they were, inv- they were basically saying, okay, you're Gentiles. You're Gentiles, and you're not the real children of Abraham. That we, the Jews, are the children of Abraham. And we, you can tell that we're the children of Abraham because, look, we, we obey the laws of Abraham. We obey the laws that, that God has given to his people, that we have the law, and that's how you become a child. All right, Paul is interacting with that concept because the Galatians have they've adopted that, that mindset. That, hey, yeah, we're Gentiles, we're alienated from God, so hey, let's, let's try to be children of Abraham by obeying the Mosaic covenant. Let's try to do the law. And once again, he takes them back to the law and, and shows them, okay, let's, let's look at what the law really says. Verse 21 Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? He reminds them that the law is, is bigger than just the Ten Commandments. That that whole first, these first five chapters are considered the law, and they interact with the law, and they show us things about the law. And he says that, ultimately, Abraham is a good picture of of what the law says and and how we're supposed to interact with it. And how it's not just about the law, it's about something bigger, something larger. And he points him to the fact that there's actually, if you want to be a child of Abraham... He has two children. He has two sons. Now just to make sure we're, the, we're children of Abraham in the right sense, verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. All right, so we need to go back to the history. It just doesn't make any sense unless you know the story. Now, we've talked about how Abraham received this this covenantal promise. That even though he was married to a wife who was infertile, who was incredibly old, he was himself old, he was given this promise and he said that, you know what, Your, your heirs will be more abundant than the stars in the sky, that your offspring will become this great nation, and that through your nation... From this offspring, you'll bless the whole earth. You'll receive ultimately, like this, the greatest promise. You'll be the greatest family in the history of of the earth. And we saw before that Abraham believed that promise and it was counted to him as righteousness. That he's the man of faith. He's the first to, to put faith in this promise and receive righteousness for it. All right, that, that's all good. Um, and Abraham did, did believe and did have faith, uh, but that faith wavered. All right, no one in the Bible is like this perfect, is the perfect Christian, is the perfect follower, is, is completely faithful, except for Jesus. We have that exception clause, except for Jesus. Um, Abraham himself had doubts, and what did he do? He stopped believing by faith. And he's looking at his infertile wife, and looking at year after year of this promise not coming to pass, and he grew doubtful. And he started thinking, well, you know, it seems like like this promise isn't going to work. And he thought, maybe, maybe I need to put some some feet on this promise, right? Go put feet on your prayers. That's the kind of person who prays and then just goes and makes it happen anyway without any need to depend on God. Uh, He's going to feed on this promise, and he's going, to, he's going to work things out. And so he says, okay, well, Sarah, my wife, has, has a slave named Hagar. And he's thinking, well, if I have a, a son by Hagar the slave, first of all, it's a lot more viable. She's a lot younger. It's probably going to work. And you know what? Let's, we can kind of fake the promises here. Like, if Hagar belongs to Sarah, then... Hagar's son would sort of be Sarah's son in, in a sense. We can kind of work that out and make it, make it kind of fit into the, into the framework of the promise here. And Abraham decides, you know what, we're going we're to go with that method. Sarah decides too. She thinks that's a great idea. And so he has this son, not by Sarah, but by Hagar. This son, Ishmael. Ishmael. And what does Paul call this son? He's a son of a slave born according to the flesh. Now, why is he called that? Well, first of all, because his mother is a slave. His mother isn't beloved by Abraham. It just, just works for him. And everything involved in Ishmael's birth involved no miracles. It involved no faith. It involved no promises. It didn't involve the working of God. It involved... Abraham working and figuring it out and making it work and not, not needing any any work on the behalf of God. A son of a slave born according to the flesh. Alright, and then later, years, years later, Sarah actually does have a son. That in spite of everything, in spite of all of the obstacles, God, by a miracle, works out through his promise and gives Sarah and Abraham a true son, just as God had promised through Sarah, the infertile one. And what is this son called? This son is called the son of the free woman born through promise. All right, so we're seeing two ways of interacting with the promises of God, two ways of interacting with God himself, two ways of seeking the blessing that we expect to find from God, either works or faith in the promises. Works or faith in the promises. All right, eternally and spiritually, you're going to be presented with those two options. That you have two paths for how you're going to get to heaven, how you're going to find access to God, how you're going to find access to all the blessings that are promised in God's Word. By works or by faith in the promises by your flesh, or by the supernatural working of God. By what you can kind of figure out on your own, or by what needs miraculously be done by God on your behalf. Our eternal salvation rests in kind of either one of those two paths. And day by day, day by day, you have two choices. You can either live by faith or by works. And the next time you feel anxious and feel like everything's going to go wrong, you can... Go work it out, or you can live by faith and respond differently. That the next time you want to yell at your kids, you can can work and try really hard and shape shape yourself up, or you can live by faith. That there are promises, and God will do supernatural work, that there's something larger than yourself. There are a lot of promises, and we can either work them out or receive them by faith. All right, Uh, The larger meaning here, I think we're getting at it. And Paul says this can be, this can be read allegorically. Allegorically, uh, go, back to, go back to high school English. All right, you all read Animal Farm. That's the quintessential allegory. All right, it's not really about pigs and the farmers. It's about something, the Russian Revolution, something like that. The Bolsheviks, is that right? Leah, what is it? You didn't read *Animal Farm*? Oh no! All right, you'll have no idea what an allegory is, then, Leah. So, <laughs> I'll enlighten you. Uh, all right, so it's a story. It's a story that has uh, has like second layer meanings, where the characters represent more than just themselves. That it's not just about the the story itself. It's about what's happening on another level. Now you know, Leah. <laughs> go, go tell everyone your, your, your things you've learned. She's a librarian. She already knew. Um, all right, so uh, I wouldn't say first that this is an allegory. All right, so it's, that's where some people, they read the Bible and they say, well, oh, this must be one big, like, secret mystery, and none of this really happened. Um, that's not what we're saying. Now, first and foremost, these were real people. And Hagar was a slave and was incredibly unloved and mistreated. That Sarah was this, this jealous and broken and distraught wife. And Abraham was this foolish husband who tried to, tried to capture the promises of God by mistreating everyone involved and wrecking his family. That, that's just what it is. That, that's the real story. But there's always deeper meaning in Scripture that God uses... Ordinary, regular lives of people, day in and day out, to illustrate larger things. And that's where Paul says, he doesn't say this, this is allegory, he says this may be interpreted allegorically. Your lives can be interpreted allegorically. Are you an embodiment of these two paths to God by faith or, or works? Everything kind of follows this path. And he says that these women, Hagar and Sarah, are two covenants. Two covenants. Two ways of interacting with God, two contracts that you have with God, two guidelines for relationship with this God. And the first is the covenant of works. The covenant of works essentially says that if you're going to have any relationship with God, then you better work and you've got to make it happen. And you better be really good so that you can present your, yourself to God on the final day. And if any blessing is going to come to you, you better be a good Christian to deserve it. The covenant of works. And he's saying that covenant of works is Hagar. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. All right. So Hagar is the covenant of, of works, interacting with God through the law, interacting with God through, through the flesh, through human means, through your ability to do it. And Paul then starts to layer on kind of these other images that are found in Scripture of the covenant of, of the law, the covenant of works. And he says, that, you know, what? there's a mountain that symbolizes this whole interaction with God, Mount Sinai, the mountain on which God gave all of the commandments the Mosaic law was given on Sinai. And it's this terrifying mountain that if you touch, you're destroyed. And the call is that, you know, you can, you can climb your way up to God, but his glory and his majesty are probably going to kill you on the way. And when the people heard God shouting down from Mount Sinai, they cowered and feared, and they actually, they actually begged for God not to talk to them anymore. And they said, you know what, can you just talk to Moses and he'll talk to us? Like, we are terrified of you. We don't want to interact with you on this level. All right, that's Mount Sinai, that's the law. And he says there's a city associated with this covenant, the present-day Jerusalem. Present-day Jerusalem. By present-day, he doesn't mean present-day, he means present-day according to when he was writing this. And Jerusalem at that time was basically the epicenter of Judaism, where the Jews lived and where they tried desperately to keep the law that God had given them. And day in and day out, they offered sacrifices and they, they wore special clothing and they, they recited their daily prayers to try to earn their way to stand before God in the end. All right, now why do we care about that? Why do we care about that? All right, that's utterly shocking to have said that. That for Paul to say that actually present-day Jerusalem and Mount, he- Mount Sinai, this, all these like beautiful, amazing places that have all this glory to them, And the Jews who are coming from Jerusalem to say, hey, come be children of God, what he's actually saying is, you know what? They're they're totally deceived. And they think they have the law. They think they have God on their side. In reality, they're not the Isaacs of God. They're the Ishmaels. And that they live in slavery because they interact with God exactly like Abraham interacted with Hagar. That's how they try to get the promises, by their flesh by trying to climb the ladder up to God, by trying to work harder and manipulate God by their own means without any need for miracles or faith to stand before God on their own. Now, no Jew would have thought they have anything to do with Ishmael. As it says, it's, Ishmael is, is Arabia, the Arabs who become the... The Muslims, like that's, that's their father is Ishmael, and the Jews would have said, "No, no, we, our father is Abraham. We, we go through Isaac. We're, the whole line is traced through. Here we stand as children, as Isaacs, children of the promise." And he's saying, "No. Go back to Abraham. How do you interact with God? On a daily basis, how do you interact with God? As a slave, by works." Or by faith in the promises. All right, this is like the biggest insult you could get to, to a Jewish person trying to earn their way to God. And he says, there there is another way. There is another way. There is Sarah. And she represents the covenant of grace. And what does it say? The Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Or he's saying that Sarah, Sarah has, has a covenant. She's the covenant of grace. And there actually is a mountain associated with the covenant of grace. It's Mount Zion. And God says that in Mount, on, Mount, like, on Mount Zion, first, that's the mountain by which Christ will reign from. But he says that in the final days, that mountain, like, we don't have to climb it. That actually that mountain, it it rises up to heaven, becomes the tallest of all mountains. God miraculously makes it grow. That's how you ascend into heaven is you, you ride on Mount Zion into heaven. And he says that there's a city associated, a city associated with that covenant and it's not the present-day Jerusalem trying to scrounge your way to God. No, it's the new Jerusalem. And new Jerusalem, to get there, we don't have to get up. It actually, it actually comes down. That it comes down from heaven. It miraculously enters into the world and invites you in. And say, that's the covenant of grace. That you stand on the mountain and it, it rises up to heaven that you don't earn your way to heaven, that heaven actually comes down and dwells with you. The covenant of grace. The barren and impossible to keep promised one. Like, she actually becomes the the world's greatest mother. More fertile than Hagar ever was. That we are actually her children by the promise. All right. And the question ultimately becomes, which which way do you want to interact with God? Which son do you want to be? Do you want to be Ishmael or do you want to be Isaac? Do you want to climb Mount Sinai or do you want to ride Mount Zion into heaven? (laughs) Do you want to wait for the new Jerusalem to come down or do you want to scrounge away in the old Jerusalem, throwing out your sacrifices and trying to be a good slave? All right, that's the question that's presented to us. I have to ask, okay, how do we daily interact with God? Do we daily interact with this God as kind of what can I do in my flesh? How can I try harder? What can I imagine myself doing? And and then do do I desperately try to do it? Or are we trying to interact through the covenant of grace, through Jesus who came down, through Jesus, who was crucified and, and, and rose up to heaven, and says that we're now seated at the heavenly places, who has all of these promises, promises like you will never be ashamed, that if you humble yourself, you'll be lifted up. Do we interact with those things by faith? Do we wait for God to do things? Do we trust Him to do things that we cannot imagine or, or possibly do ourselves? The reality is, like, we have a holy and perfect God. And that the law says that you, be perfect as I am perfect. As the Heavenly Father is perfect. All right, these are the things that are put before you. And we can try to manipulate the promises and say, like, well, may, maybe I can just try to be good or try to be good enough. Like, no, that's exactly what Abraham did try to fake his way to heaven, try to fake his way to the promises, try to fake his way into blessing. He's saying, no, you, you were asked to do things you could not possibly do. You are, you are the Sarah who cannot conceive. You, you desperately need the promise, the miracle of God. And at the right time, the, the miracle came. That Jesus Christ said that it is finished. He has done the work for us. We have received him by grace. He will continue to work on you as you put your faith in him, not as you work your salvation out. Even as we have that passage. How are we going to interact with God? And Paul says, uh, verse 28, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. All right, if you put your faith in Christ, like that is who you are. You are Isaac. Stop acting like Ishmael's. Stop acting like slaves. Stop acting like maybe you owe all of this to God. Maybe you work for him. Maybe you need to try harder. You don't have to interact with God on that level. You are Isaac's the son of promise. And he gives us this warning, actually. He gives us this warning. Just as at the time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. He offers this warning. He says that if you really do embrace these promises, if you really do live by faith, if you live like an Isaac, he says the Ishmaels will hate you. The Ishmaels will hate you. The people burdened by the law, they will persecute you. And we keep, we, we keep fearing that maybe we'll be persecuted by the world. Yeah, maybe, but actually, more often than not, the person who's going to persecute you is the, is the works-based religious person. Because they're going to look at your freedom and they're going to say, you're, you're, you're being flippant. Or you're being immature. You're, you're stepping all over God. Or you don't care about his law enough. Why aren't you more reverent? Why aren't you more holy? How come you're free to admit sin? I'm not free to admit sin. Like, it's those kind of interactions. Or they'll throw your sin up, uh, upon you and, no, you're, you're not good enough. Come be good like me. All right, first, if you're interacting with people on that level, like, good good. If you're being persecuted by religious people and people who are enslaved by the law, good. That probably means you're under grace. And that probably means you're enjoying salvation and you're looking to Jesus and not your own works. And you're free to talk about your sin and you're free to be a sinner and you're free to talk about God on, like he's actually in on your corner, in your corner on your side. Alright. If you persecute, if you persecute those who live by grace, all right, you have to be careful. You might be pursuing God by the Hagar method. You might be an Ishmael. If you're angry and you feel like God owes you so much more than you've been given and just constantly under the burden of the law, you need to be free, you need to be a child. You need to be Isaac. And What does it say? Ultimately, what does Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. If you are in Jesus, like, the miracle has happened. The promise has come You get to be the child. You get to be Isaac. I ask you this week. This week, think about what it looks like to be Isaac. What it looks like to interact with God through promises and not by works. What it looks like to to enjoy your place in Jesus. Go be Isaacs. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. Questions? Questions? They do, they do. Yeah. The, the the Jews go back to Isaac and and the Muslims go back to, to Ishmael. Yeah, they do. That's that's the irony, is that actually those who are Jews not pursuing faith in Jesus, they're actually traced back to Ishmael too. Okay. I didn't know that. Uh and that's where that's where they, it would have been really offensive because yeah. cause they would have known. Like, no, the, the Gentiles go back to Ishmael, and the Ishmaelites are the slave traders who took away Joseph. Like, these are, these are the bad guys. And Paul's saying, no, you're on their team. Yeah. Candy. Uh, Yeah, that's a lot of categories, Candy. Um, (laughs) So you'd say the elect are always the elect, um, but you'd also say that there is something real that happens when you transition into into faith in Christ. Um, And so in that sense, you could say you are those who are in faith are are always Isaac's. They are always of children of promise. Uh, but you could also say that in a in a worldly kind of temporal human sense, they went from Ishmaels to Isaac's. In the sense that before they were living by works, and then they lived by faith. Then um, I'd also say that we can be Isaac's, pretending that we're still Ishmaels, and and so living as Ishmaels. That's yeah, it yeah definitely. Right. If you are in Christ, like and he's saying the Galatians are in Christ, why are they still acting like they're children of slavery? Yeah. That we enter back into that. That's not our real relationship with God. Yeah. All right. Other questions? Rob? <laughs> All right, come on, come on this side. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So it's by right of birth, uh, the outward, as to the model of justification by faith, I guess, as opposed to hiding himself in contradiction in his actions or works or what he did. What Rob say? Yeah, we've been I think you are. Are you thinking of Jacob? First of all, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, I think I think you're getting at, at this question, Rob. Like, well, why do we want to be identified with with sinners or with in the line of these broken people? And even even to want like Abraham as our father, like that's not great. He's he failed in faith and and pursued this other way. Like, welcome to being a sinner. That's all I can say, like, and that's where, to be real with, like, okay, what was Sarah? Sarah had absolutely no help, hope of having a child. She had no hope of achieving any of these promises. And, like, that's spiritually who we are. We have no hope of making it to heaven. We are, we are the bottom, lowest denominator of, of faith. Like, we, we're not going to do it. Jacob was not going to earn his way to heaven. He was a total screw-up, but, like, he received grace. Yeah, you read that story, and you're like, oh, Isaac, or Jacob's like a sniveling little, like, but he receives faith. He, he has faith. He receives grace. He's given the promises and the blessing. He's the, the line of promise. It's not about being good. It really isn't. You think so, Randy? Well, yes! <laughs> we right. Right. then we're going to fall prey to the side of we can't really Right. That. I don't, Norma. I don't. Because, I don't. You know, because you know, there's so, you know, there's a little cliche, but I've always lived by it. You know, when young people, when young moms, you know, say, how do you, you know, you want your kids to come to know Christ? And I always tell them, you work like it is all up, all up to you, but you pray like it is all up to God, because it is both. Okay. It's like an and-and thing that you always say. But Right. You know, Right, right. Yeah, and that's where it's... Yeah, that's where I... I don't think that living according to faith means you never... Never fight to... Like, it's called the fight of faith. Um, and we're fighting to believe. Now, are those works... Works thinking that we can do the works without the faith or that God's not having to do the miraculous work? Like, no, we're, we're doing the work to to connect the dots between the promise and the truth and Jesus and our lives, uh, giving our kids Jesus, fighting that they would hear it and receive it. Um, But that work can, can never turn them into Isaacs, can never give birth to a Christian. Right. fair fair we're definitely not called to be lazy in the, in the service of the Lord. You know, true but right we respond to the grace that we've been given and, and yeah. He's given you your specific direction to sit on the sidelines and, and let him work work it out then you you got a you got a direct word from the lord right and we'll we'll look at that in the weeks to come like faith expresses itself through love that it that real faith does work, but works don't don't bring us to can't can't do the miracles. The miracles can can then cause us to to walk in those miraculous things. So, yeah. All right. Any other questions? All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that. That we get to be Isaacs, that we could, not, we, we could never have birthed ourselves, that we could have never achieved the righteousness that you call us to. We couldn't sanctify ourselves or glorify ourselves high enough to, to stand before you, and that's why you sent Jesus. Thank you that his death and resurrection, his incarnation, that his work, his miraculous work has transformed us. And that we can call ourselves truly holy and righteous and perfect because of his work. Father, I ask that you would help us to to draw near to, to Christ through faith first. That we would long to see you doing things that are miraculous and things by the Spirit and things that we could never do ourselves. Father, would we not first look to our own works and our own efforts, our own creativity and ingenuity, but we would look to, to the promises that you are keeping through Christ. And would those things sustain us as we walk through this life? And Father, until we see those promises come to pass in Christ, we thank you that it's by nothing but Jesus and nothing of ourselves. We pray for his glory. In Jesus' name.